0: church, happy Wednesday. I'm so excited to be with you. My name is Chelsea, if we haven't met yet. I'm so excited to spend this time together for the next few minutes. And we're going to continue the series that we've been on together as a church and looking at the words of Jesus on a specific topic. And tonight we're going to look at the words of Jesus surrounding our attention, our attention, what we are giving our focus and our time and our energy towards. And I know my kids are gonna laugh when they see this part of the message because I have been asking every single person I've seen recently this question. And that is, have you seen the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma? It is so fascinating. It's interesting on a lot of levels. If you watch it, you will probably pray a little bit more. Actually, I think really teenagers especially should watch that with their parents. It's not an endorsement, just an observation. But one of the premises of the documentary is that the commodity that social media is selling is our attention. So they're doing whatever it takes, throwing whatever they can at us to capture our attention so that they can then in turn go and sell our attention to the advertisers who want to use our attention to sell to buy their products. So that's an important Movie, it's so interesting, but it made me realize that right now in our world, there is a fight for our attention. There's a fight for your attention, there's a fight for my attention. Different things happening in the world that want to capture us, that want to grab hold of our attention and say, Look at me, focus on me, think about me. Have you noticed right now a virus trying to capture our attention? Or maybe a political party in process trying to capture our attention. Maybe your children are trying to capture your attention, and maybe they're like my kids who don't say mom once. They say mom, mom, mom. Like it's just habit. They feel like they have to say my name four times before they're going to get an answer. Or maybe your spouse needs your attention. Or maybe your children, I already said kids, maybe your friends need your attention. Maybe there's a project around your house that needs your attention. There are so many things right now fighting for our attention that sometimes we can feel like we are never doing the right thing, like we're never giving our attention to the right thing because it should be going in 17 different directions. What does Jesus have to say about our attention Let's look in Matthew chapter six, and I'm gonna read from the message translation. By the way, I have three different Bibles with me because I'm going to read in different translations. So here you go, look at all sorts, all sorts of the Bibles that we're gonna look at for these next few minutes. But we're gonna read first, first from the message translation, Matthew chapter six and verse 34. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come when the time comes. Here Jesus said, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Could you imagine living your life if you were able to take every circumstance, everything that's happening in the world around you and things that are being thrown at you and say, no, I'm not going to give my attention to the circumstance. I am going to give my attention to what is God doing right now? For example, at Church Home, I know we're a church all over the world. Actually, it's so fun. We just opened up Church at Home locations in Malaysia. Uh, Indonesia and South Africa this last month, which is so exciting. But where we started as a church and where we have physical buildings and locations just happened to be in in the cities of Seattle and Los Angeles where some of the strictest quarantine and regulations have been taking place in our country, in the United States of America. And so we could sit around as a church, as leadership, giving our attention to, oh, I can't believe the governors, they're keeping us from meeting, or I can't believe this, they're saying we're not essential, or I can't believe this. and We could give our attention to the powers in the world, or we could give our attention to God and say, what is God doing right now? What is God doing through this? Because, boy, when I look at the book of Acts, every time the church was scattered, every time there was a cataclysmic event that, Cause the church to go new places. God had a purpose in this. And so you know what? I'm not giving my attention to what the governor is doing or what the government is doing. I am giving my attention to what God is doing. Or right now, with my kids in school, trying to do school from home, I could sit around giving my attention to uh, the school administration and what's working or what isn't working. Or I could say, you know what? God has a plan and a purpose for this. This is not a surprise to God that my children are at home right now doing school via Zoom. God's doing something. God's up to something. He has a plan and a purpose, and and am I going to give my attention to what God is doing, or am I giving my attention to what humans and people and systems of the world are doing? I believe God wants us, and that's not just I believe, Jesus, his very words here in Matthew 6, 34 said, give your entire attention to what God is doing. And what I love about these verses is these verses come towards the end of what is the famous sermon from Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this entire sermon, it's really fascinating if you look at it through the lens of how often Jesus says, look, see, And And so there is this common thread that weaves through the Sermon of the Mount about attention. And what we're going to do is we're going to start at the end, which is the result that we want, which is I want to be somebody who can give my attention to what God is doing. And we're going to start at the end and work our way backwards through the Sermon on the Mount and see what Jesus has to say. Why? What led Jesus to say, because of all of this, you can give your attention to God. God in what he is doing. So we're going to work our way backwards. I think that's a good thing to do in a lot of things in life. Judah and I have an expression. We say we want to be better at 70. So working with the end in mind, we think, how can we be better? When we're 70 years old, we want to be in good health. We want to be a better spouse. We want to be good parents. And mostly we want to be good followers of Jesus. So how do we take that end goal and work our way backwards? So we're just going to take the end goal of give your entire attention to Jesus and what he is doing and work our way backwards. And just look at three observations that Jesus talks about here in the Sermon on the Mount on attention. So the first observation we're going to make is this, and I'm gonna give you the punchline first, and then we're gonna look at the verse. And that is this, your attention determines your direction. Your attention determines your direction. Let me read the verse here. It's in Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 22. Listen to that. the words of Jesus here still in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, your eyes are windows into your body If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you pull the blinds on your, oh, sorry, I lost my verse there. Your your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. Here's the words of Jesus telling us what you look at will determine the direction of your life. If we open up our eyes and belief and wonder, we'll see the world one one way. But if we squint our eyes and if we look in distrust and mistrust and greed, we'll see the world a whole different way. And you know that where you give your attention determines your direction. Right now we're teaching our 16 year old son how to drive. And yes, that is an exercise of giving our attention to God and what he is in what he is doing. It requires a lot of faith. So, the other day for the first time Zai and I went onto the freeway. And so he he merged onto the freeway and then I tried to get him to change lanes. And I watched him as he changed lanes. And remember how you're, just, you're supposed to change lanes, you're supposed to do like mirror, signal, over the shoulder, mirror, go, like m smog. I learned that in driver's ed a lot of years ago why do I still remember that I don't know so I'm watching Zion try to change lanes on the freeway and he didn't check his blind spot which as you know was very scary because a car could be in your blind spot and so I asked him like hey Zion why didn't you check your blind spot And he's like, you know, a new driver at 10 and two on the freeway. He's like, well, I'm afraid that if I look that if I look over my shoulder, I'm going to go over in that direction. And I started laughing because I remember feeling the same way when I was learning how to drive, because there's something innately in us that we know that when we look a certain direction that our our tendency is going to be to go in that direction. And Jesus knows that whatever we give our attention to, that is the direction that our life will wanna take. And that's why he said it's so important for us to give our attention, to fix our attention on what God is doing. The second observation about the words of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. And for this one, I'm gonna read you the verses before giving you the punchline. But look at the verses here in Matthew chapter six. I'm gonna read you three verses and see if you can see a common theme to the words of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew six, verse one, he said "Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. And then in verse seven, sorry, in verse five, Jesus goes on to say, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. And then again, in verse 16, Jesus said, and when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Jesus here gives us three different scenarios that when you do good works, when you pray, when you fast, don't do it in order to be seen by other people. But in the same sermon, in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 16, listen to the words of Jesus in the same sermon. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I'm like, Jesus, that sounds a little confusing because in verse 16, you Told us clearly, let our light shine, let other people see our good works so that they can glorify our Father in heaven. But then, three times in chapter six, in verses one and five and 16, you told us not to let other people see our good works. So, Jesus, what is it? I'm going to read you this verse in the Passion Translation, and I think it's going to bring a little bit more clarity onto attention. Listen to this in verse 16. Actually, you know what, We're gonna, we'll start in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 5. And this is the last scripture we read, but in the Passion Translation. This is Jesus. He says, let your, your lives light up the world. So let others see light come from a distance. And how can they see, how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And who would light a lamp and hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that the commendable things that you do will shine as a light upon them. And then they will give their praise to the Father in heaven. And here's the observation that Jesus makes about our attention. That if our life is a light, we are to live to give attention to others, not to draw attention to ourselves. We are to live, it's like a, a light, the analogy that, that God used. And he's saying every action that you do, you are go- either going to take that light and use it as an opportunity to shine it on upon yourself and say, look at me, I'm here, can you see me? Can you see the good things I'm doing? Or can you tell me that I'm loved and valuable and special? or you are going to take that light and use it as an opportunity to shine onto other people and say, look at this person. Look at how much they're hurting or look at how amazing they are or look at the good things they are doing. Look how great they are. And Jesus said, don't use your light. Don't use your life to bring attention to yourself. Use your life to bring attention towards other people. And I read that I'm like, That's a great statement, Jesus, but that's easier said than done because if you've studied science at all, you know that attention is not an excessive need of humanity. Actually, receiving attention is one of the basic needs of every human being. It's a basic need of every human being. To me, one of the most fascinating things that prove this is during... World War II, during orphanages, specifically in the U.S. and in Britain, orphanage workers noticed that their mortality rate skyrocketed. In fact, it got to the point where their infant mortality rate was around 40%. Can you imagine that? You're in an orphanage, you're trying to care for children, and you're losing four out of every 10 babies who are there in your orphanage? But the nurses who were there and the caretakers noticed something really interesting. They noticed that the children who were closest to the door were living and thriving much better than the children who were in the corner. And from that, they learned, and actually another fascinating study, King Fred- Frederick in the 13th century, a German king tried to figure out what language babies would speak if they weren't spoken to. So in a section of an orphanage there in Germany, again, this is the 13th century, so it sounds a little barbaric now, but he didn't know back then. They, he said, let's not have any babies be spoken to. Let's not give them any attention and see what language they will end up speaking. Well. The experiment failed because none of the babies lived. In other words, these babies in the 13th century and in, in modern American orphanages, because they weren't given attention, they did not live, even though every other need was met. Attention is a basic human need. It's not frivolous, frivolous of us to want attention. Look at babies, they're so good at when they need attention, crying. Toddlers are so good. At when they need attention, they will either just grab your face and like pull it to you and say, hey, mom, look at me, or they'll throw a tantrum. Teenagers, they're also pretty good at showing when they need attention. But as we get older, as an adult, sometimes we have a hard time figuring out how to ask for attention or how to get the attention that we need. And so adults can do some pretty unique things, simply in the search for getting attention. So God, Jesus, our designer, our creator, knows that we need attention. He knows that we need it to live. Yet here in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't take your life as an opportunity to get attention for yourself. Take your life and use it as an opportunity to give attention to others to give attention to people groups that are different than you, to give attention to genders that are different than you, to give attention to people who are in different circumstances than you. Jesus was saying, let your light shine on them, not on yourself. And by the time I get to hear in that statement, I realized, hey, Jesus, great sermon, but how are we supposed to do this? If this is a basic human need for attention, how are we really supposed to be able to take that flashlight, take that light of our life, and instead of using it to gain attention for ourselves, to give attention to others? And that leads to our final observation. It also leads, by the way, to the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. If you've ever read through these chapters in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and got to the point where you're saying, Jesus, this is impossible then you have came to the place Jesus intended for you to come in the Sermon on the Mount because the purpose is to set the standard that only Jesus can live by so that we would come to a place of saying, okay, Jesus, I need you and I need you to help me to do this. And so we are at that place. How is it possible for us to live our lives knowing that, hey, where we give our attention determines the direction of our life And we're not supposed to use our lives as a means to get attention for ourselves. We're supposed to use our lives as a means to give attention to others. How is that possible? That leads us to our final observation in the very first verse of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to how the whole sermon starts. It starts off and it says, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. The whole Sermon on the Mount started with what? Jesus seeing the crowds. How is it possible for us to use our lives to give attention to other people and not hold it for ourselves? It's by recognizing that Jesus sees me. Jesus said so many times further in the Sermon on the Mount, in our verses in chapter six, I'm just going to read it to you over and over again, because I want you to hear Jesus sees you. God sees you. Jesus sees you. He knows exactly where you're at and he sees you. Listen to chapter six in verse, verse four. Jesus said, so that your giving may be in secret. He says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, in verse six, he said, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And once again, verse 18, Jesus was talking about fasting again. And he said so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but that your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Why did Jesus need to say that three times about three different scenarios? I know Jesus said it three times because he wanted me and you living in 2020 right now at this moment in this planet to know that God sees us. God sees me. God sees you. Single individuals living by yourself. And when I was talking about that experiment about touch and, and babies living in orphanages, maybe you feel like, how am I getting attention? Where am I getting attention from? I'm just craving human touch. Can I tell you that God sees you. God sees exactly where you're at and he sees what you're feeling and facing and going through. Even beyond this sermon, we see this principle lived in the life of Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, he saw not only crowds, but he saw individuals. Think about the woman in John chapter, John chapter nine. She was, went to a well all by herself to get away from people because she didn't wanna be seen. But here Jesus saw her. And in verse in verse 29, after she has a beautiful conversation with Jesus, she goes back to her town and says, come see the man who saw me. Come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Jesus saw that woman. Or think about, remember the story about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19? Zacchaeus was a man who was short in stature, so maybe he was overlooked often in his life, but he was a Jewish tax collector, and he used his position really to oppress his brothers and sisters and to take money away from them. But he had heard about this man, Jesus, and he wanted something in him compelled him that he thought, I, I want to see Jesus. I want to turn my attention to Jesus. And so he climbed up a tree because the crowds were so great, and he was short of stature, and he just wanted to see Jesus. But in him wanting to see Jesus, guess what happened? Jesus saw Him, we can read about it in Luke 19, verse 5. It says, Jesus looked up and saw Zacchaeus. So, here Jesus saw a marginalized woman, here Jesus saw an oppressive man. And no matter who you are, or where you are, or what you're going through or facing right now, Jesus sees you. And I want to conclude with this thought throughout the Bible. especially in the Old Testament, God was given many names. Maybe if you've been around church long enough, you've heard of El Shaddai or Jehovah Jireh, our provider, or Jehovah Rapha, our healer. And every name of God is given to tell us about the character of God. And for so many of the names of God, there is an incredible story that goes along with it of somebody encountering God in a new way. And they literally gave him a name. But do you know, in the whole biblical narrative, there's only one time where a woman gave God a name. And we find the story in Genesis chapter 16, and the woman's name is Hagar. And Hagar Hagar was the Egyptian slave to Abraham and his family. So she was a foreign slave in a family. And not only was she a slave, but she had been sexually abused to have a child by Abraham and so even though that was acceptable in that culture she still went through that trauma and that abuse of being used for her body without without love and without care and so Hagar when she became pregnant for Abraham uh, the wife of Abraham her name was Sarah she began to look at Hagar with despite and the Bible actually says that Sarah began to abuse Hagar And it got so bad, it was at the point where Hagar had to run away from from Sarah to protect her life. And here in Genesis chapter 16, she's running away, she's pregnant, she thinks she's gonna die. And all of a sudden God appears to her and God speaks to her and God says, I see you and you're not going to die, but you're going to live and your son is going to be a great nation. And here this woman who was a slave, who has been abused, says this beautiful magnanimous statement she says i have seen the one who has seen me and in that moment this woman becomes the only woman to give god a name and the god the name she gave him was the god who sees me not just the god who sees the world not just the god who sees groups of people but the god who sees me. And I just wonder if you and I could grab hold of the revelation that Hagar received that day, that our God is a God who sees us. Right now, God sees you. I love the verse that Jesus says, I know the amount of hairs that are on your head. Jesus knows exactly what you're facing, what you're feeling, what you're going through. And could it be that if we realize that God sees me, that in turn we can change and we can fix our attention onto God and we can realize I can focus on the one who sees me because he sees me and he knows me and he loves me. So as we conclude, I just wanna pray for you, but I actually wanna lead you in a prayer. Because I want you to take a moment and have a conversation with the God who sees you. So in these last few moments, if you're comfortable and in a place where you can, could you close your eyes? Maybe you're at church at home group sitting with a bunch of people in a home, or maybe you're watching on a Zoom call, wherever you are, just close your eyes in this moment. And I want to lead you into a prayer of taking a moment to acknowledge the God who sees you. So with your eyes closed, just, just, Take a prayer right now. Just take a moment to talk to God and say, God, I know that you see me. Tell God, thank you for seeing me. And think about a specific circumstance or situation that maybe makes you feel invisible or something that feels out of your control. And will you have a conversation with God to say, God, I know that you see this circumstance and I know you have this under your control. Jesus, I know that you see us. Thank you that you are the God who sees. You are not far away in the heavens thinking that mankind is distant from you, but you are close and you are near to us. And Lord, I pray that all of us in these unprecedented times, that we would have a personal realization and revelation that you see me. Now for everybody with your eyes still closed, I wanna invite you into a relationship with God. Maybe you're watching this, you don't know how you got here, stumbled upon this, but you'd say, Chelsea, you know, you're talking about Jesus, but I've never really met him or known him. And I would like to know him. I would like to meet him. I would like to discover who he is. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And if that's you, just simply put your hand up wherever you are. Not that God needs to see your hand. He sees your heart, he sees your mind, but sometimes it does something for you when you see yourself, put a hand up. So just right now, if you say, Chelsea, I wanna know Jesus. Just put your hand up and I'm gonna pray for you. Jesus, I know that you see every person, you see these hands, you see these lives, and Jesus, I pray that you would, with each one of these individuals, lead them on a journey to know you more and more, to know your love, to know your forgiveness, to know your care. And Jesus, for all of us as a community of Church Home, I pray that you would enable us to be the kind of community that doesn't use our life to shine attention on ourselves, but that we would use our life to give attention to others and be the church that you have called us to be. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for seeing us and loving us. In your name, amen.